Welcome back to another episode of the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship. You found the show that talks about all things horses. I'm your host, John Hare. Thanks for finding our show. On today's show, we meet up with Francis Jewell F.J. Thomas. F.J. is a horsewoman, author, blogger, show judge, entrepreneur, and just plain fun to talk to. We've got a lot of things to cover. F.J. is a very busy woman, so let's get right into it. Here is F.J. Thomas on the Woe Podcast. Well, we're talking to um, horsewoman and entrepreneur, I think, Francis J. Thomas. Everybody knows you as F.J. Welcome to the Woe Podcast. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on the show. We've kind of met over the internet, and you've got a lot of different irons in the fire. First, you've got a love of horses, and you've written a novel, and you've got a couple of websites. So I kind of want to cover a couple of those different areas with you, if I could. And let's start off with your horse experience. How many horses do you have, Francis? We have Right now, we have nine and a donkey. Um, and then I also have a horse that is leased out to a therapy uh, star therapy place right now. So we, we have our hands full with as many horses as we've got. Mostly we have quarter horses, but also have a thoroughbred. And then we have an Arab Pasifino cross, which wow. is kind of interesting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we, yeah, we've got a little bit of everything. Now you, you actually do training on the side. It's not your full-time job, but you are a horse trainer in different disciplines, I understand. Yes, I I show hunter, but I spend a lot of time barrel racing and showing ranch, and you know I'll go into cattle sorting every now and then when I get the chance. It just kind of depends on you know where how my time's running and and what my finances are. You know I'd be showing in anything everything if I could, but and give lessons and work with riders and their horses. I'm a little bit different in that I kind of prefer to work with a rider and a horse. Because, I, you know, you see a lot of trainers out there that can produce a beautiful rider, but they lack the knowledge to deal with their horses if they, you know, are a little bit of a handful. And so I like to say that, you know, I, I train horsemen. is <laughs> right. um, really my specialty. It's really what I love to do. Now, the, the nine horses and donkey that you have, do you, uh, do each one of those have specialties or are they pretty versatile horses most of them are pretty versatile i mean i my barrel horse i've shown in trail and i've you know taken him to some sortings um i'm thinking about showing him maybe in some some english classes this year as well to me you know used to like when the quarter horse industry first got started those horses did everything you know they chased cows they plowed fields and then they went to the show they dolled them up and they went to the show on the weekends and I love that. I love that concept, and I love seeing what a horse can do that's unexpected. So really and truly, I mean, I try to do everything with all of mine. Just to, just back in September, I picked up a uh, retired racehorse who is actually a son of Donna former, and he's phenomenal, phenomenal horse. But, I mean, he's true, you know, true to type thoroughbred, and I hope at some point I can get him on some cows and you know, just see what do you know. I love it. There's a there's a couple of guys around here that put on ranch clinics. Uh, John Nicely and Scott Kiger. Um, periodically, they'll put on a ranch clinic, and I get to go every now and then. And but they'll they'll bring Frisians that they're breaking for the dressage clients. Wow. And then um, also my my farrier Joel Sherlin, his son 
one, um, the NBHA World, it's been a couple years back, and he was the only guy to qualify, Clint Sherlin was, for the first American that they had for the semifinals, the only guy barrel racer. His dad has got a couple of dressage clients as well, and, you know, he's a barrel he's a barrel trainer, but yet he gets, you know, dressage people's horses to break and problem horses and stuff. So, And I love kind of that mindset, you know. Mm-hmm. I love I think, you know, you've, you've got a base there, but I think I just love doing a little bit of everything. That's very cool. And then you also do uh, some horse show judging, I understand. Yeah, yes. Um, I'm carded with the Open Horse Show Association and have been carded with them for several years. And I love judging. I really love judging at an open level because that's kind of where my heart is. I love to compete at a higher level if I could, but I love judging that that young level when people are so passionate and they're getting started and they need some encouragement. I just, I love that. And, uh, I judge Western and Hunter and a little bit of gated. And my, my real specialty is Hunter and Western. And that has to help your horsemanship too, because you're looking at them as far as a critical aspect. And then when you're on the back of your horse, you, you, there's probably a little bit of that judge in the sitting on your shoulders telling you, uh, Hey FJ, what do you, it, it really is. Um, it's, it has, it really has helped my horsemanship quite a bit because you see things that, especially like in patterns and things like that, you know, you'll see a horse on the rail that looks fabulous and you think, Oh, they're going to do great in the horsemanship class. And they'll have, and they'll struggle a little bit and you'll see things that you're like, Oh, wait a minute. You know, I, I need to work on that too. So it really right. has, you know, it really has been a huge help to me as, as a horseman as well. Because, you you know, I'm always looking and analyzing. I think that's my personality is to always be analyzing. You started a writing career and uh, a creative writing career, and you've actually written a novel called Lost Betrayal. Tell us a little bit about that. It's Lost Betrayal took me 10 years to write, um, and it's based partially on some experiences that, that I had, um, but in a nutshell, the story is about a tornado that touches down on a horse ranch in Georgia, and um, this girl that owns the ranch, she loses her best horse in the in the storm, and um, the story is about what happens to her and the horse uh, while they're trying to get back to each other. Did you have some uh, real life experience with that? A little bit. Not, I mean, I didn't have loss like what's in the story, and it is pretty tragic. But, um, but I kind, I did. I did have some experiences that that got me to thinking about things that happen in disaster situations. Um, and what initially gave me the initial idea for the book was her. I think it was Hurricane Floyd um, that happened in North Carolina. I think it was like twelve, thirteen years ago. It's been a while. And they had hundred, you know, they had hundred year floods down there. And we were, at the time I was living in Western North Carolina and they were, you know, shipping supplies and it was one of the worst storms, you know, that they had seen in quite a while and people were trying to gather things. And I got to thinking, you know, they would show film footage and I would see like these pastures that were just covered in water and it dawned on me. I'm like, what's happened to all the animals? I mean, you know, what's going on with the cattle and the horses are they getting anything because people were getting supplies cats and dogs were getting supplies but they weren't saying a thing about cattle and horses and that sort of thing and so i started calling around you know and digging on the internet it was early days of the internet and i got in touch with the vet and 
some of the stories that she told me just broke my heart. And so I tried to go ahead and get some supplies down and, and went to the local vets and we, you know, had to ship at FedEx because they weren't accepting it through any of the supply trucks. We couldn't get anything right. down there. And, and that really, that was the initial, you know, experience that got me to thinking about that and what happens to large animals in disasters and how they just don't get the press a lot of times. And there's, there's just not, you know, an, enough of, back, especially back then, there wasn't enough of an organi organized help group, you know, to go out there and, and deliver, you know, to save right. these animals. And, you know, it's true that they are the last, um, large animals are the last to be rescued in a, in a disaster. And in that particular case, there were horses that had been standing in water for like, you know, a week and their skin was sloughing off and they had infections and things like that. And it was th things that I had never even thought about. And it just broke my heart and um, it made a huge impact. And that's really what led me to, to write the book initially, uh, you know, and I got, I got about halfway through. And then a couple of years ago, we went out to um, the uh, Fort Smith Futurity to run barrels. And that was the year that the tornadoes come through more Oklahoma. And that same set of storms come through Fort Smith while we were there. And uh, being an East Tennessee girl, we are not used to tornadoes. <laughs> <laughs> and we had, you know, we were staying in a trailer there on site and they had temporary stalls for the horses. And we were the lucky ones. We got the permanent stalls, which all that was, was a piece of tin, you know, across the top. <laughs> and so they, they put us in, we had to go into one of the buildings there for, about three hours and the whole time you know we don't really know what's going on outside because we can't see we don't have any coverage cell coverage right. and i'm thinking good lord what's happening to the horses and and there were so many people that had temporary stalls that had to put them into the arena which the arena is just you know covered with tin that's it it's not enclosed and you know I, with every i was so close i was closer a lot closer you know there to more oklahoma than i would have been if i'd been home and i was thinking man I just wished I had the money to just drop everything and go help, you know? Right. Yes. It, it just, it hurt me so bad. And that, that was when I said, you know what? I got to finish the book. And so that, story. that was, that's what kicked me in the butt to finally finish it, you know? Well, good job. Cause I enjoyed reading. I read it last year and I thought it was a, a fascinating read. It's nice to read a book from a, uh, from a horseman's perspective too, because you get a lot more realistic portrayal of the actual events and dealing with the horses and the stuff that a horse owner actually has to go through. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, I think we're all that way. You know, as horse, as horsemen, we read a book and it's like, it, it totally turns you off if you read a portion that it's like, you can tell who wrote it, they really didn't know horses that well. Right. It, it kills yeah. it for, and I don't know why, but it just, it does. And so, you know, it was important to me to to relay that in, in a realistic manner, you know, for my fellow horse people <laughs> out there, I guess, you know. Because I know you, I'm pretty sure you self-published that, correct? No, I actually um, am traditionally published with Soul Oh, School. great. Yeah. Um, awesome. So I had to query, I've queried that quite a bit. Um, and, and it's funny how the Solstice, the Solstice deal came up. It came up on Twitter. Um, I was, I became friends on Twitter with Tel Cotton, who's a Western author. 
And he's also a cattleman. And so anyway, um, we got to be friends on Twitter. And then I followed him on Facebook, and we got to be friends on Facebook. And he, at the time, he was the ed- one of the editors for Solstice Publishing. And he sent me a message what, just out of the blue and said, have you ever thought about submitting to Solstice? And because I had been talking about my book, you know, I've read all the, you know, things you're supposed to do as an author type thing, you know, and I'm like trying to promote. And and so he sent me this message and I said, well, I hadn't thought about it because at the time I was really looking for a literary agent because that's, you know, what all the books tell you to do. And uh, so anyway, that didn't pan out. And so I contacted him back and I said, you know, what do I need to do? And so he kind of guided that whole experience for me. You know, made sure it got in front of, you know, who it needed to get in front of. And um, so they, you know, did all the editing and, and everything, you know, after it was sold to them. But um, and I did all the editing and had my had friends and things, you know, go through and kind of do a second check and that sort of thing. Um, right. They did all the formal editing and formatting and all of that. So and then uh my uh, short story that came out in October that was part of their anthology, um, Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep, It's a Paranormal, um, They I sold it to them as well. And then I've got a book coming out um, sometime in the summer, a child, my first children's book. With, that sounds like fun. Yeah, it really, it's going to be fun. I, I think I'm really going to enjoy it because I've got the gal, I've contacted a gal to do the art because they asked me if I had any of the art and I didn't. And so, but I had uh, interviewed B.K. Cotman um, for my Talking in the Barn blog. And so uh-huh. I contacted her and said, you know, do you, would you be interested in doing the art? And she said, sure. So we partnered on that. And Dingback Publishing, um, which is, a, is another indie publisher, they, mm-hmm. they decided they wanted it. So it's coming out in the summer. And um, she's working on the art right now. So I'll be, I, I haven't seen anything but the basic character drawings. I haven't seen anything else. So I'm, I'm excited to kind of see what, you know, what she's come up with. Because I think that'll be fun. I think the kids, that kids market is going to, is really going to work out well for you too. I think so. I think so. Because kids love horses. I mean, and that's, the horse industry needs to start kids young like that because they're not getting exposed to that at least kids aren't you know they're living in urban settings now and so they don't really get to see horses and farm animals and things like that no and there's things you know there's we've done some ministry work over the years with with youth and there's so many things that horses can teach kids you know that just can't be taught any other way i mean You know, when you've got to get up seven days a week, regardless of how you feel or regardless if you want to sleep in late, <laughs> you know, and go dump the feed, you know, that, right. you know, that's something that they just, they don't get at home. I mean, they really don't. There's no cause for it, you know. Um, so, yeah, they, I, you know, I'm a, a big um, supporter of kids getting, you know, into the horses as early as possible and keeping them there. Have you done any like magazine writing? I have. Writing? Um, periodically, I have. Um, a few years back, when all the uh, fires were out in California, um, mm-hmm. I, which they're out there every year, you know, but I yeah. guess it was the one that made the you know such an impact on me. 
um, I, I wrote an article on getting, you know, the things you need to teach your horse so that you can get them loaded quickly in a disaster situation. Um, that was a few years back in um, America's Horse, the AQHA monthly magazine. Right. Um, I've had art, I've had that article, and then I've written several for Horse and Ranch magazine, and a few years back, um, Horseman's Yankee Peddler and Arena Talk. I I I would like to do a lot more um, writing for some magazines. I would I would really like to do that a little bit more. And now you've you mentioned that uh, it was back in the early days of the internet and. You're you're fairly active on not only social media sites but also uh, with the number of websites and blogs that you have. I know that you're you're extremely active in uh, Twitter and on Twitter and Facebook, but you also have a couple of really great websites that uh, that deal with issues that need to be dealt with. And one of those is called Cow Cowgirls with Curves. And what was your uh, what was your your main motivation in starting that website? That Cowgirls with Curves, you know, it kind of started out, I thought, well, I'm going to write a blog and kind of share a little bit. And it's really been a journey um, and a self-progression for me. I mean, it's funny because, you know, you write something for the mass public, and then it winds up being kind of a journey for yourself as well. And that's really what has happened. Um, You know, I've always been kind of self-conscious of my size and self and of course that leads to being self-conscious of my riding because you know ideally the horse industry is pretty tough about that you know we're pretty judgmental and especially in barrel racing and that sort of thing and you know I, I, I just felt like I wanted to encourage people um, and, and kind of I don't know maybe take a platform or you know make a difference in how we look at riders of all sizes, for that matter, you know. Tell us a little bit about how you feel the horse industry is more critical of that. Because as a man, I, you know, I don't understand what's what that what's going on there. I mean, what what types of things do women experience? Well, I mean, you go to a barrel race, and I have heard stories over and over again, and heard comments over and over again, and it's not necessarily you know, size, although a lot of times it is. Sometimes it's riding ability. And, you know, some of the comments that are made out in the stands, I, I mean, they're just, they're horrible. And, they're hurtful. And, and the thing about it is, is, you know, you can have a 200-pound a woman, say, ride, you know, a, a barrel horse or a cutting horse or whatever, and people will make comments. Mm-hmm. But you see a lot of big guys Joe Beaver in the, you know, in the rodeo industry, he's not a small guy. Um, And you see a lot of big guys on smaller horses at the cuttings and sometimes in the reining, and nobody says a word. It's accepted. It's okay for the big guys to be riding these little horses. But God forbid a woman should get up there of the same size and ride. And there's just, Mm -hmm. there's just comments that are made, um, you know, that, and we shouldn't be, we should be encouraging everybody. And, uh, you know, and I think part of the reason I see, you know, I see these people riding in these open shows as a judge um, and their goal is to go to, to a quarter horse show or they may have gone to a quarter horse show and have had comments, you know, or heard comments made. And, and they're very intimidated by, go, you know, to even go to a quarter horse show. And they're even intimidated sometimes to go to that open show. I mean, and they're just scared to death. And, you know, I... 
we, we can't do that to ourselves. We need to encourage other riders and help them along or else we're not going to have a sport, period. You know. Um, and they're following their passion just as the skinny girls are following their passion. Right, right. And I, I mean, I have heard a lot of, um, you know, a lot of comments made. And, and, and I'm not the only one. There's another gal out there. I'm trying to think what her blog is. If the saddle fits, I think is the name of it. She's a dressage rider. Mm-hmm. And one of her posts talked about her husband was standing there watching her go ride through her test. And these two ladies, they didn't know that that was her husband. And they were making comments, you know, saying, and they were being, they were just being judgmental saying, you know, well, if she was fitter or she was smaller then she's, you know, her horse would ride so much better. Da, 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 da. And it's like, they're judging her and they're judging that horse without really even knowing what it is that they've been working on or what that girl can do. And, right. you know, and, and I, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, I'm, I'll be 47 years old this year. Okay. I'm a plus size gal, but let me tell you what, every single summer we put up a whole bunch of square bells by hand and mm-hmm. we have 20 year olds come out and I can help them and stay with them just as long in the hay field as they can. So, you can't judge somebody by just their size anyway, you know, it's it's a matter of strength and, and balance and that sort of thing. But you can't, I think it's, I just don't think it's fair for people to, to judge like they do, whether it's size or whether it's how somebody's riding sometimes or what a horse is doing. They don't know what that rider necessarily is working on. Right. And, and the thing that kind of gets me, it's, it's the people in the stands who aren't out there. They're not taking yeah. any risks. You know, they're, they're standing on firm ground. They're not really doing anything. And they're tearing down the people that are actually out there Making trying to accomplish something. Yeah. 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 I noticed that you've gotten quite a lot of response from it. Are you thinking about taking that in some further direction? I'm hoping that I'm hoping that it will. One thing that I would like to see, and and I don't, you know, I just kind of started this, and as it grows, you know, we'll see what happens. I would really like to partner, find somebody to partner with on some plus size horse clothes, you know, for horse riders, because we we really are we don't have a whole lot of options, and the options that we do have a lot of time are expensive, and there's not a level, there's not a whole lot out there for you know, somebody that maybe is just starting out that is plus size. Is that show attire or is that just general riding attire? You know what? That's just general riding attire. I mean, it's mm-hmm. tough. As a plus size woman, it is tough to find a pair of jeans under 50 bucks, you yeah. know, that fit halfway decent. And, and I don't know about you, but I'm spending money on horses and show bills. I'm not spending it on right. $100 jeans, <laughs> you know. Um, exactly. And, and there's just, I think there needs to be some options, some more options out there. So, uh, you know, I would love to, for that opportunity to come about. I don't know how it will, but, you know, if the door opens, I'm definitely going to go through it. Um, but I, I definitely want to see Cowgirls with Curves grow. I, I think we need, a, you know, um, more of a voice. I think we need a different voice out there. And I think the following that it's gotten, you know, is is a testimony to that. I think so too. Yes, and you know, it might be a it might be another op- opportunity for a novel. Yes. <laughs> Look at me. I'm putting more stuff on your plate. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it could be. It very well could be. 
And you're very active, I noticed, on Twitter, too. And there's, um, do you participate in, what is it, the equine hour or the horse hour? Yes. Yes. Those, those things. Tell us a little bit about um, what those events are. They seem like fun things. I just happen to be never around, and I, I always go, well, that's the end of another horse hour, and I go, oh, I missed that. <laughs> you, miss it. I, you know what? Uh, one thing that I am passionate about, and I hope one of these days it turns into something, I don't know, but I, I'm passionate about promoting the horse industry, you know, all disciplines, um, because I want to see it do well. You know, so I'm always promoting if there's a, you know, horse business and that sort of thing. I mean, I've got a list on my Twitter accounts of, you know, horse businesses and farms, because those are the two things that are that are near and dear to my heart. And I want to see them all succeed. Um, But the the horse hour and the equine hour, there's an equestrian hour, rider hour. I think there's a racer hour um, and a dressage hour, maybe even. Um, all of those are Twitter chats where that hashtag you can follow, but like on Sunday afternoons at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and Monday afternoons at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, um, they'll have a Twitter chat, and it's open to anybody that wants to participate. They'll um, throw out questions, you know, like what kind, what's your favorite blanket or what is your turnout strategy or has anybody, you know, dealt with this? And it's kind of, you know, um, just a big chat for horse people. And it's a good opportunity to learn something. It's a good opportunity to learn what other, you know, horse people are out there, what other businesses are out there. Um, and we're all passionate, you know, about our horses. So we always, we always have a lot to talk about, you know. If somebody's new to Twitter, then they just put in the hashtag of, of equine hour with no spaces in it or horse hour with no spaces. And then they'll get that conversation and just pretty much that conversation for the next hour on that. It'd be all about horses. Right. Right. They'll be able to track everything that was said and, and all of that. And there's a, the, uh, a couple of account of accounts actually run initiate it and run it. Um, the horse hour is one equine hour is another. Um, I think it's style reins that does the equestrian hour. Um, but you, you'll be able to, when you pull up that hashtag, you'll be able to eventually narrow down who has that, you know, who's running that. Do you find that the horse owners are internet savvy about such things? You know, some, some of them are, although I find it to be more, probably more business oriented on Twitter than Facebook. Cause I've talked to, I've talked to a couple of uh, entrepreneurs and they find that maybe horse people aren't as, um, I don't mean this to be insulting, but technically savvy, exactly. Well, and I, I do find that to be true. Like my farrier and his wife, they don't, they're not on Facebook at all. Not at all. Not on Twitter. Not on any of that. Um, and I think part of it is, one, you know, um, if you work in an office like I do, or, you know, you've got at least part of the day that you can kind of multitask and do stuff on your phone, whereas they're, you know, they're on their feet all day long, you know, working horses, grooming horses, doing stalls, feeding, and that sort of thing, they don't really have as much time sometimes, you know. Right. But but really and truly, I mean, the the truth of the matter is, I mean, social media is really how bit, a lot of business is done nowadays. Right, and, and exactly, I think it's even um, a great advantage to the, the the horse owner or maybe a person getting into horses because 
when you're first getting into horses or you're you know you're relatively inexperienced or a re recreational rider you're trying to get as much information as as possible now they can go to a trainer and pay them money but there's so many free resources out there and if you're like you said if you're looking for a saddle pad or a saddle blanket and you sit in front of the your twitter chat for for 20 minutes and throw that question out you'll get some choices and you can even ask questions well how long will this last how much money is it what's the best web website to get it from and that will that's all free information but i think a lot of people who are new to horses aren't quite availing themselves of of that and they're going to places other places and then actually paying it or paying more for the for the same advice that they could get for free yeah that's true that's true and I, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there um, that, you know, when they're getting into horses, they don't necessarily, they may not necessarily have the money to go, you know, go with a trainer. And so they have to feel like I did. I mean, years ago, I didn't have money. I just figured all this stuff out or went to work with somebody, you know? <laughs> like you said, you were paying for feed and, va and vaccinations and warming medicine. Who has got room for trainer in yeah, that's budget, right. right. That's right. And, it, you know, it is. As uh, Joel, my farrier, says, you know, education is costly, you know, because <laughs> you try it and then you learn not that I don't want to do that, you know. So I think, you know, I think it's a resource that people that don't have a big, you know, amount of money and don't have the financial resources to go with a trainer or go with a lot of lessons and that sort of thing. I think it's a great tool for them to learn and find out things, um, you know, but I but I think they're I think it could be utilized a whole lot more, you know, and especially Twitter because there, there's so many resources on Twitter. Twitter and YouTube, I think, are, are really valuable assets if you're, if you're careful in where you look. Yeah, yeah. This has been a lot of fun, FJ, and I really appreciate you uh, joining us on the Woe Podcast. And we'll have, uh, we'll have all this in the show notes. We'll put links to your sites and Twitter accounts and other information that we can find, and it'll all be right there. Well, I sure appreciate it. Well, we'll have to do this again. Yeah, well, definitely. Definitely. Thanks, FJ, for being on the show. You can find the links, and there are a bunch of them, mentioned on the show at woepodcast.com. I would really like to hear your thoughts on not only this episode, but the show in general. Send an email to john at woepodcast.com. You can find all our episodes on iTunes and Stitcher. There are over 100 of them now. From wopodcast.com, you can find links to our YouTube channel with over 80 videos. Podcasts and videos, they're all free. If you would like to support the show, I've teamed up with Patreon. Your contributions will help offset some of the equipment and expenses it takes to produce the Woe Podcast. Every little bit helps. Thanks for listening to and sharing this podcast. Until next time, for Renee, this is John Hare encouraging you to go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody.